Good morning, Whipple Nation, and a happy new year. It is Friday, January 6th, and welcome to another episode of the Holy Commutes Podcast. I'm your host today, Josh Smith, and I'll be with you every Friday this month. I'm excited to be here and happy that I was invited back to host some episodes for you, and you can expect me to guide you through each Friday this season. I'm joined this season with a great lineup. On Mondays, we have the Cooks. Then it's Tuesdays with Texas Tim Dean. Wednesdays belong to the Steffies brothers, Austin and Trent, who are doing an interesting Survivor series. For more info on that, you're just going to have to listen to their episode from this past Wednesday and then going forward. An interesting fact about Trent, while I was in college, I was driving late one night in Minnesota and ran over what I thought was a deer, but it turned out to be Trent Steffies, and I left him for dead. Little did I know he would turn out to be the founder of MNWA, notable character in the HRL Twin Cities, and so much more. I'm not taking credit for Trent's success, but I will strain the importance of having your headlights checked for late night driving on back roads. Had I done that, Trent wouldn't have a hook on his hand right now and send me threatening letters for what I did that summer. I'm never very sure what to say to the national scene at large as I don't have much of a role in it these days. So I honestly struggled a bit to find a topic that I deemed worthy enough to bring to you this morning. And I recalled a point that I made in the last episode I hosted here. Leaving a record. Today I want to bring you the history of leagues from my home state of West Virginia. It's something I actually wrote an article about in the past, I believe back in 2017. I have a history degree and obviously I believe it's important to have reverence for the past. I also made my first pilgrimage to Cooperstown, New York this past summer and visited the Baseball Hall of Fame and was in awe of the documentation and record keeping uh, of various leagues, teams, and players. But equally, or possibly more, awe of the records that weren't kept, such as uh, for the Negro Leagues and, uh, and those players and teams and so on. So many years that there's just not very, you know, detailed records and that's affected the ability to properly statistically analyze and potentially admit some players to the Hall of Fame that their lore has remained but there's just not a lot of actual information to review for certain players or teams or even leagues as a whole. Now that could be because they did not keep very good records or because the preservation of those said records if they did keep records was prioritized. So that's something we could take a lesson from baseball at that point and apply that to our leagues today, the leagues of the recent past, and so on. You know, if you if you've run, if you're running a league now or you have ran a league that has recently demised, do you still have these records? Leave a trace because you don't know what you're going to wish you had in the future, or what the people beyond you are going to wish what uh, was on the record. So that is the case I'm trying to make here. I don't want this to be the case for West Virginia Wiffle Ball as a whole because it's much more than just the Huntington Wiffle Ball League. So for that reason, I bring to you an oral history of Wiffle Ball in the Mountain State. And I will start that when I come back from a short break. Thank you. 
I've been playing organized football in West Virginia since the turn of the century, the 21st century. <laughs> but I'm not the first to do it in the state. Uh, I do consider myself a, a wiffle ball historian of sorts of the southeastern uh, United States. And while I do not know who the very first league to set up within our state was, I can take you back uh, about 20 years or so uh, in time to kind of tell you at least Per my knowledge, who the first leagues, um, at least as far as the 21st century is concerned, uh, or the age of the internet uh, can can tell us, who the first leagues were and, and kind of get you up to speed on a history of wiffle ball uh, leagues in West Virginia art. All of you are probably uh, aware of only a couple leagues to ever exist in West Virginia. There, there's my league, of course, the Huntington Wiffle League, and then there's the old league, that uh, Greg Sowards and I ran that led to the creation of the Huntington Wiffle League, which, of course, was the GDWL, the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League. That's where most knowledge of leagues in the state ends for, I would say, 99% of people that have any knowledge at all of Wiffle Ball in the Mountain State. There have been seven other leagues to operate within our borders in the past 20-plus years, and I'll be sharing some of what I know about these leagues with you in this podcast. Some of these leagues lasted a while. Most of these were incredibly short-lived. A few of them I had personal contact with, and the rest were either extinct before I got in the game or were totally unreachable. It's a shame these leagues aren't around anymore. Uh, for whatever reason, keeping a league running in West Virginia is incredibly difficult, and I can, <laughs> I can definitely attest, uh, and I, can, I will get into the reasons for why I believe that's the case, but it's incredibly difficult to start a league and keep it running uh, in West Virginia. I think it's difficult to do those things anyway, but in West Virginia, it's, it's definitely uh, especially so. Out of the eight leagues to ever start up in West Virginia, to my knowledge anyway, uh, the Huntington Wiffle League is the, on, is, the, is the only league that remains. So I'm going to start with the first league that I'm aware of uh, to, to start in this state. I'm sure there... I, I want to first preface... That I am sure, and it is my belief, that we're all aware that the wiffle ball was invented in 1953 by, by David Mullaney, right? They took two halves of the plastic pieces that preserved uh, perfume bottles and sort of put them together to create the wiffle ball, put the holes in them, yada yada. But I'm sure, like, not five minutes <laughs> after that ball was released, his sons or somebody in the neighborhood created a, a neighborhood league or something like that. So I'm sure not long after you know the balls hit the market in West Virginia, which the Northeast clearly has a deep cultural ingraining of wiffle ball. The upper Midwest is the same way. The West Virginia is more in the mid-Atlantic to southeastern area. It's sort of uh, a weird area. It's where the mid-Atlantic, southeast, and midwest come together. We don't really have the same marketing uniformity that some of these other areas do. So when, I say, when I'm in public or talking to somebody, I say wiffle ball, they don't automatically think of wiffle ball the way that you all the listeners do. If I'm lucky, they know what they have any general idea what a wiffle ball is, which in this case is going to be any kind of plastic baseball. Not the baseball-sized plastic ball with eight oblong holes on it, the official wiffle ball. Much like there's band-aid and adhesive bandage. 
right? So um, basically, if I'm lucky, people will understand me in the sense that it's a plastic baseball of some sort, which is a a very broad definition uh, and, and <laughs> not correct, but we're in the neighborhood. So trying to get the point across to anybody that's not in the know uh, in my area of what a wiffle ball is, I believe you can start to understand how difficult it is to, to get a, <laughs> a league going just by that fact alone. So if you're in an area, and I, my guess would be the Northeast or Upper Midwest, and you say wiffle ball and, they auto, and the person you're talking to without missing a beat can automatically recognize that it's the official wiffle ball don't take that for granted you're 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 very lucky understand that that's not the case (laughs) in other parts of the of the country in either case i I do not know is what i'm trying to say when the actual very first league started in west virginia and i would venture to say nobody knows when the very first league started anywhere in any state at any point and I would venture to say that whenever wiffle balls were first sold in West Virginia, whenever that may have been, I would say they probably hit the market here much later than they did anywhere else. Uh, it probably would not have been very much longer. If, if you have a half a dozen people, you can start a league. But to my knowledge, the Matt Velez Wiffle Ball League in Wheeling, West Virginia, is the first league that I became aware of in West Virginia. But uh, they were also known as Wheeling Whiffs or Wheeling Wiffle Ball. Uh, the acronym MVWL, Matt Vela's Wiffle Ball League. They started in 2000. And they unceremoniously disbanded in 2008 uh, after a, quote, indefinite hiatus. Like many leagues on this list that I'm going to go through, their website no longer exists. And to view it, you're going to have to go to like archive.org or something like that. I think Major League Yardball was an affiliate league in, in Flint, Michigan that they work with, and you can sort of see some info of theirs through their website, which I believe is still uh, available. But much of the information that you could have seen in the past is no longer visible. All this to say, the, this, this league was a premier organization in West Virginia uh, while I was getting started with the, the Garrett Drive Football League when Greg and I were still in high school. Um, these guys had a great website at the time. They had some highlight videos that you could watch uh, if you're willing to wait for the buffering on Windows Media Player. Holla. Uh, it was like an hour <laughs> for that to happen. They had some colorful personalities within the league. They had a well-documented rivalry with that Major League Yardball League I refer to in Flint, Michigan. That went on for like six years between 2000 and 2006. Uh, the articles about that, you know, they had like an annual series that they played. That's still on their, their website on uh, Major League Yardball, and that's at uh, starswiffleball.tripod.com. That's right. That's a tripod website, so <laughs> it's still there. Uh, this league sort of just vanished, like I said, suddenly around 2008, and just with no warning, just poof, gone. It's always been a regret of mine that we didn't get a chance to really initiate much networking opportunity while they were still active. We had some communication with them, but not much uh, to try to do something. But we we weren't really we were we were lucky <laughs> at that time to to keep our seasons functional uh, at that point. So just moving outward to play other leagues was just something that was very a, a difficult concept to to achieve. So 
Um, but they were the most impressive league to operate in the state that didn't involve Greg or myself, in my opinion. The northern part of the state has never had a league resurface since the Matt Velas with a ball league called it quits. Matt Velas was a player within the league. I, I cannot find any information on him. To my knowledge, Matt Velas, if I remember correctly, is a player that passed away and they named the league after him in honor of him. And I believe there has been some stirrings of a tournament that they have held occasionally uh, in recent years. But again, I cannot find much information on it. There's just been very little organization uh, at all surrounding this league since they're disbanding. But I believe I've read a couple of articles of some tournaments that have been held in the Wheeling area that may or may not have had affiliation with some of the people that used to run this league in recent years. But that's it. Uh, and this is a northern panhandle of the state. For those unfamiliar with West Virginia, of which typically there are many, uh, I'm from Charleston, West Virginia, and most people don't understand that there's Charleston, South Carolina, and Charleston, West Virginia. Two totally different states. In either event, there is two panhandles in West Virginia, the northern panhandle, and then there is the eastern panhandle, which straddles the distance, basically, of northern Virginia and southern Maryland and just to the east of Washington, D.C. The distance between those two panhandles is quite significant and mountainous. And Charleston, which is the populated center of West Virginia, is in southern West Virginia. So we were several hours <laughs> from, we're, we're a small state geographically, but between the roads and topography, a, a gulf of distance between our two leagues. So logistically, it, it, there was just no way for us to kind of get together. And I believe that's a demerit that sort of, lends itself to why it's so difficult for leagues to kind of link up uh, in, in that state. So I want to move on to the next league because I'm going to go through these leagues in chronological order. So the next league, we're going to shift our focus to Taze Valley, which is a suburb of Charleston, West Virginia, and my hometown, which is the Marina Wiffle League. And it was founded in the following year in 2001 by myself and my little brother, Matthew Thornton. We played a handful of games that summer and the following summer with our cousins, neighbors, and family members. We played in our incredibly narrow front yard, and we didn't keep stats, and we only took a few pictures, Some, most of which were in black and white. I went through a black and white film phase. It would prove as a testing ground for what would later become the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League, which would be founded the next year. We used a variety of bats, ranging from those you know, Captain Caveman large barrel bats, like those big orange bats, uh, that you'd find at the dollar store. We even used broomsticks. As for balls, we used official wiffle balls. We also used tennis balls. Uh, any any balls we can get our hands on. It was the most primal of leagues uh, of what I'm aware of that has ever existed in West Virginia uh, and was not a serious endeavor uh, uh, by any means. It was literally just just time outside. But we, we did document games, using the term document loosely. <laughs> the league was later absorbed by Garrett Drive Football League in 2002. Uh, we had sort of like a season and a half to two seasons of beginning in 2001, and we had two teams at that point. Moving on to the next league. 2002 was my sophomore year in high school. I just finished my final year in the local Babe Ruth Baseball League, and I did not want to embarrass myself by attempting the tryout for the high school baseball team. I wasn't a very good baseball player by this point, uh, compared to my peers anyway, and I always played wiffle ball in the off season to try to keep my skills sharp and stuff. So I decided to take my wiffle ball playing more seriously 
and started the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League uh, with the ideas of keeping stats and documenting the league with articles and photography and all these things. So we, the thing about the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League, people were like, that's a weird name for a league. So this was at my grandparents' neighborhood, and the namesake of the league is based off of the street name that we played on. So it, I, I later bought a house. I don't live there anymore, but I lived in that neighborhood later, and I lived for a few years just down the street from Garrett Drive, which was pretty surreal at that time. But we played on the street, on Garrett Drive, so we named the league Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League, and we played in that league for about a decade. But the the Marina Wiffle Ball League was in my actual neighborhood where I grew up, but I started this league, like I said, in my grandmother's neighborhood because we spent a lot of time there in the summers and there was a lot of kids and teenagers and stuff. Um, and it was a good place to, to kind of get some interest going. Whereas in my neighborhood where I actually grew up, not so much. Um, so I had the idea of this league due to what I was finding in Wheeling. And I was so naive before seeing that Wheeling league. I had no idea that there was, you know ever any organized wiffle ball leagues i was a total doofus and like oh man no one's ever done this <laughs> uh well, we should start a wiffle ball league i mean, i would think that no one would have been a big enough loser <laughs> uh to have an organized wiffle ball league because my i'm gonna be honest with you the fact that uh my baseball career had come to an end self-esteem level pretty low there was a not much pride going into starting that wiffle ball league, if I'm being honest. So I did not think that on a confidence level, I was breaking new ground for the right reasons in starting that league. It was more of a, hey, um, surely nobody's ever done this. And then some, uh, later that summer in 2002, once we'd already started the league, some internet searches, which anyone that was using the internet around that time knows that the internet was not like it is now. So after some serious sleuthing on the internet, we found, hey, there actually are some other leagues out there. Yeah, including the, the league in Wheeling. But uh, yes, to be young and so incredibly dumb. You know, that's 15. What can I say? But uh, we started this league with only eight players and the first year, and one of them was my very best friend, Greg Sowards. And we played until 2011, making the GDWL the longest operating league in state history with, I think, nine or ten seasons. We did have a hiatus in 2008 and then returned. There were 12 different teams throughout the, the league's history. Documentation of the league could have been better. We went through a few different websites, but the latest website still up. And we used a blogger. Until recently, the league still had an active league lineup website for the statistics, but then the site was deactivated by uh, league lineup for some reason, and all that data is gone. So any uh, basically the stats that we don't have on... Our actual website are lost. I have the score sheets and stuff around uh, my house somewhere, but I don't believe I have every single one of them. I have most of them. A lot of our score sheets we wrote by hand, so we didn't like go buy score sheets and stuff. We did a lot of things just very primitive uh, in that league still, so we literally wrote the score sheets by hand. It's an unfortunate thing that you know a lot of our it's it's a this league was a predecessor for what would become the Huntington Wiffle League. So it's, you know, the, our very first season of the Huntington Wiffle League featured like about a dozen players from this league. The story of their career dovetailed into the HWL, and it would be nice to have all those statistics. But 
if you have league lineup and you're not logging in like every year or two, you better because you're going to lose it. And then even so, league lineup might just get a wild hair up their ass and just <laughs> and just randomly pull your stuff. So make sure you have backups is what I'm trying to say. Uh, make sure to save to PDF or just like straight up print those stats. Have hard copy backups of your stats uh, or your you know the total gross stats so that should that happen, you're not totally you know dead on arrival in terms of your total bookkeeping like like we did in this league. So, but uh, many lessons and failures, unfortunately, <laughs> were learned by Greg and I by, by running this league, and it would serve as a foundation for what would later become the Huntington Wiffle League. And that league owes a great debt to the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League, in my opinion. And I could, I could say a lot more about the GDWL. Greg earned much of a legacy there. He was a, a, a phenomenal player. My, my little brother, I think he maybe won one championship in that league with the Vipers, but we just never could really get it together as far as like the team building and things like that. We just, but we also never really got the right equipment and everything. We never found the right, quite right place to play. Uh, we did okay with videos and stuff like that, but podcasting never was a thing at that point. There's just a, we never quite reached our potential in the Garrett Drive Football League, but we finally started getting it right with the Huntington Wiffle League in my opinion so but this was just in I think the final rough draft before the premier league in my opinion uh, for West Virginia so but moving on what I consider easily the most mysterious league to have ever <laughs> popped up in West Virginia the WVWLWV the West Virginia Wiffle Ball League of West Virginia this used to be a website was on the rankings for wiffle2k.com how to explain this to <laughs> someone that doesn't know what I'm talking about. Either the West Virginia uh, Wiffle League of West Virginia or Wiffle 2K. Um, so we'll start with Wiffle 2K. So Wiffle 2K was a league and a website, rankings website, based in Chico, California. So these guys ran a league uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s that uh, I think they played in a cul-de-sac uh, in Southern California. But they're also website designers, and honestly, they I think they ranked over 100 Wiffle Ball League websites, and they were pretty harsh with uh, both the Marina Wiffle League and the Garrett Drive. The Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League favored a little better, but the feedback, while brutal, was honest and constructive enough to where I realized, hey, I'm going to need to do something a little bit beyond league lineup to kind of get the message that I want across in a serious manner. Maybe ditch the MIDI file when you get to the homepage, right? So <laughs> that's something that uh, this league was better known for, I think, than the actual league itself. I could expand on that a lot more, but for the sake of the content of this episode, I'm going to pivot to the West Virginia League that I'm talking about here. The, this league was either <laughs> not real or incredibly unorthodox. If you get a chance to read the review, uh, the Wiffle 2K website's not around anymore, but if you go to archive.org, uh, you can see the screenshots from the website. I, I think you may be able to find this uh, review. It was pretty hilarious. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what it was, but like I said, I don't, I don't know if this league was real or not. If it was, the name, everything from the name of the league to where it was and all these things is incredibly strange and there was just no way that this was going to be a success. To continue, I've never found out specifically where this league was located, 
in the form of a tournament, there was a league with a similar name in Sinks Grove, West Virginia. Whether or not it's related or the same thing, I'm not sure. But that's in uh, eastern West Virginia. Not a very populated area of the state, to put it lightly. I wish I knew more about this league, but their website, and like I said with Wiffle2K, that website, it's gone. So it's lost forever. They're not like there was much of a fingerprint at that point, but whatever there was is lost to time. But that was, that was an enigma of a league at that time, and now it's just lost to the ages. Moving on to 2005, that was a huge year for our league, uh, the GDWL. We had our very first expansion teams that year, and it was a breakout year in, in a few ways. I received an email one day from a kid named Alan Skidmore, and he was in Flatwoods, West Virginia, which, interesting fact, that is the geographic center of the state. So, logistically, that's sounding good. And he started a regional league called the Braxton County Wiffle Association, or BCWA. And he had heard of our league and followed us online for a little while. And he decided to start his own league as a result, which uh, Braxton County is probably about 90 minutes from us. So, yeah, it's a bit of a hike (laughs) uh, to come to play in our league. So, starting his own league makes sense. This was the first time another league... Uh, was in existence at the same time as our league. To find that fact out was very exciting to me at that time. And uh, they played for a few weeks uh, because basically he was reaching out to me at the same time he was starting the league. So after reaching out to me, they, they started their season, they played for a few weeks. And then I suggested that we have some teams from both of our leagues come together for a small tournament or something, try to meet up, play, kind of compare, contrast, um, offer some advice or, or whatever, kind of you know brainstorm. On, on what to do. My hope was to spark some rivalry, help both of our leagues grow. Uh, we, you know, he decided it was best if we, if he hosted first. And so a group of my guys accompanied me to go to Flatwoods where we met a few of Skidmore's teams. We play at this park with the grass uh, being about seven inches tall. Not ideal. And we used kind of some shoddy equipment. The rules were very vague. Uh, we were not very constructive with our criticism at the time. We were very young, and considering they had just started the league, I I don't know what I expected. Uh, we were we were around for a few years, and we still had some improvement to be made. So this was a league that had only been around a few months. So clearly there was going to be some <laughs> some growing pains there. So needless to say, the tournament did not go well. So his league was still very much a work in progress, and I expressed as much that he needed to develop his league some more before hosting any more events like this, and we tried to get them to come down, and that just never materialized. I never did find out what all happened with that league afterward, but 2005 would be the only year that that league would play. They vanished as quickly as they had appeared, and I wouldn't hear anything else from this league, or I wouldn't hear of any other league to pop up in the state for another five years. So that was in 2005. Let's fast forward to 2010. And I found this tiny league in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Now, I must say, every year, at least once a year, I don't know if anyone else does this, but I go on Google, and I'll, you know, Google my state, you know, West Virginia, Wiffle Ball, or Wiffle Ball League, Wiffle Ball Tournament, Wiffle Tournament, Wiffle League, or whatever. And then I'll start searching for specific towns or cities, you know, starting with closest to me and moving out, like 
you know, the, the largest towns or areas or, or whatever. Try to find, like, are there any tournaments or leagues near me? This is an old habit I developed from when I started the tournament and league tracker for the Whiffler's Digest website, which has since continued with uh, um, e-excursions to health, and I think there's a, a way too beautiful has a, a, a tournament tracker. There, there's other ways to, to follow that now. And anyone that does that, you're doing God's work because I understand how menial <laughs> that task is. But I still do it for West Virginia because, uh, honestly, if you're lucky, they're putting it in the paper and little else. Or they're posting something on Facebook and the analytics for that getting to Google and then to you, and if you're not putting the right query in, is very specific. So you have to really stick with it. But in either case, uh, I got lucky and found this guy in Parkersburg, and it was a league called Tierman Yards. And it was ran by this younger guy named Joe Cook, and this was still right near the beginning when I was running Whiffler's Digest and kind of starting entering these keystrokes and these searches every now and then. He seemed to be a pretty hip kid. <laughs> Don't, do I sound like an old man yet? His league was a lot like the GDWL in the way that they played on small fields with very small teams, two players to a team, very uncanny uh, to the GDWL and film some of their games even. I reached out to him, and we talked that summer off and on. I designed their league logo for them and offered my advice, but sadly the league didn't survive beyond their first season. Despite multiple attempts, I could not get into contact with him the following year or since. And Timmy Yards with the league suffered the same fate as many other West Virginia leagues. Getting beyond your first season is the hardest step a league takes, and only three leagues out of, the, of this entire list have successfully made that step. Tenorman Yards, Wiffle League, seemed to be a league that I thought could have made it past a step, and for reasons I've never found out, they managed to fail anyway. And, you know, one of the places they played was really cool and unique. They played in a backyard that looked like kind of an alley. It was, it reminded me of the, the Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League. Uh, Garrett Drive Wiffle Ball League meets Crofton Wiffle Association of, uh, I believe they're in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. So, I mean, there was just a really unique vibe about that league, not just because they're in West Virginia, and I'm obviously biased, so they're local, but like, the thing is, Parkersburg is about an hour from Charleston. It was actually foreseeable to connect with them, play games with them, and, and all these different things, so it was realistic to possibly bring them in in some form, or uh, try to develop some sort of rivalry with this league, so I, I just wish that they could have made it past that, that first year, and Something I've commented on in a, in a prior episode on the Holy Commutes is I, I think sometimes leagues start you know, on a lark. They just, eh, let's, let's do a Wolfball League, and there's just no, no interest in actually making it a long-lasting endeavor. They just do it like, eh, on a whim. And I, I wonder if that's the case for Tim and Yards, because it ran well. Uh, I followed them all summer, and they did good. And, uh, but it was a small league, too, so... Uh, Making it past that first season just in general, no matter the size of your league or, or the depth of your league or whatever, but if you have a small league, you're, you're at risk because if there's really much turnover at all, you just don't have the bodies to, to make it happen. So uh, there, there's a cornucopia of things that could have led to this league's demise, and I never found out what it was, but it could have been anything. So uh, that, was, that was hard to watch. Uh, that one just fade away. I was really looking forward to that one coming back. Now, the following year in 2011, I noticed that the Palisades WBL in New York was expanding their format. 
they had started satellite leagues in Illinois and West Virginia. The West Virginia League was located in Danville, West Virginia, which is in Boone County. And that's about two counties south from Kanawha County, which is where Charleston is. A very odd location <laughs> for a league, I'll admit. Now, to be to kind of specify why I think that's odd, that is coal country. And there's not many people that live down there. There's not much of a population center. I thought Danville, or Boone County, I should say, was, was an odd location for a, a league because it just doesn't have much of a population center. And all the counties surrounding it are just as sparsely populated. So it's just like, where are the people going to come from <laughs> for this league to, to, to materialize? So uh, that just didn't make any sense to me. I reached out to the guy who runs Palisades or ran Palisades at that time and asked him for the contact information for the guy who's running the Danville WBL. And he obliged. I reached out to the guy and helped him start a basic website for the league, offered some advice on getting the organization off the ground. And they were just far enough away for it to be unrealistic for us to make any games, uh, for to make any games between our leagues possible. I watched them struggle to get through that season and they found it difficult to negotiate work schedules and all the woes that many new leagues battle. This league stood out because of their competitive format as well. Anyone familiar with Palisades will, will know what I'm talking about. They followed the Palisades model of fast pitching and large loco bats. The, the rules for Palisades leagues are also take some getting used to. From what I gathered at that time, they had tremendous difficulty in finding many players at all. And with the ones they did have, they did not have many that were very talented. And this league seemed to crumble because of the ambitious vision of their commissioner, but may have tried to do too much too soon. You have to temper your expectations when starting a league, but especially when you you have an area that's going to require some patience. You have to really uh, narrow your vision a bit, in my opinion. And his attempt was admirable, but despite the solid effort and the backing, you know, and I mean, it's like Palisades WBO. You look at that and you're like, man, what are, they're doing everything right. And they're basically exporting their format and all these different things. Like they're, they're trying to basically franchise that, that style of play that doesn't work everywhere. And this is a, this is proof of that. And the Danville Wiffleball League or WBL, whatever you want to call it, did not survive beyond its first season, and it limped through the season that it did manage to complete. So that is just something that is a sad fact. It was hard to watch, and they, they did not only have the backing of Palisades, but I tried to help in whatever advisory role that I could complete, and it's just with that much isolation. You, you, got, you have to have people. If you're in an area that's just so isolated, and that is something that West Virginia has plenty of and something that attracts some people to the state. You have to have enough people to play in the league to play. I mean, <laughs> you have commissioners or presidents or committees or whatever, but what's the other thing you have to have for a league? Players. And if you're in an area that's so isolated and you don't have enough people or players or people to sort of, you know, a population center to advertised to to try to attract players because only a, per, a certain percentage of people might be interested and then of those people that might be interested will actually do it and then if you're in a, a community that's so small that that you know percentage is going to be diminished so much further you're sort of just like tilling infertile soil at that point i'm not really sure what the thought process was uh, for that so 
Now, not to say that you can't be in an area like North Dakota or something like that and not, not get a league. I'm just saying it's rarer and harder to do. So if you are in an area that has smaller population centers or you're more isolated and you've managed to get a league, well done and cherish it because it's more difficult to pull off, in my opinion. So moving on to the next league, which is, of course, in 2012, you know what we're going to be talking about, the Huntington Wiffleball League. But I've kind of went on for a bit here, so I'm going to take a break to put some moonshine in my coffee here. <laughs> I need some juice. But uh, when I come back, we're going to be ripping into the Huntington Wiffle League and talking about, uh, I believe, one or two other leagues that have uh, been since then when we come back. And we're back. So if you'll recall, in 2011, I was discussing that Palisades WBL was franchising some leagues, including one in Danville in Boone County, and that was in 2011. That same year, the Garrett Drive Wiffleball League was going to be ending. We didn't know it at the time. I had a pretty good idea by the time uh, we were halfway through what would be that season. It was clear that we weren't going to make it. And I believe it was June, which we would normally play through August. We we pulled the plug, and that was it. We never played another game. There were no reunions, no tournaments, anything. That was it. <laughs> there was never another GDWL game or anything after that point. Now, I had already been tinkering with the idea of a wiffle ball blog or something like that because I knew that... I was still going to have the itch to do something, and I didn't want to make the mistake of trying to bring that league back because it's just clear that that was not going. That particular league in that area was not going to work. So I didn't want. I wanted to resist that temptation, <laughs> but still scratch that itch. So uh, the Wifflers Digest was born uh, in, in from the death of that league. There was many reasons that that happened, but that was one of the main catalysts for that. Um, maybe I can go into a, a deeper discussion on that another time. But the following year in 2012, I found myself with a lot more spare time on my hands because I no longer had this league to run. Uh, like I said, the, G the GDWL had disbanded, and I was in my second year now, by this point, of writing for that online news website blog and magazine, the, you know, the Whiffler's Digest at this point. And I was spending a lot of time watching many other leagues and you know people in their tournaments having a great time with their leagues all over the country and abroad and I was very envious and really wanted to get back in the saddle I lasted about uh, about 9 to 12 months before I was like I, I, this is driving me crazy I need to <laughs> uh, I'm getting cabin fever and wanting to play again but there's no leagues near me something else that um you may not be aware is there were no leagues in the state when we shut down our league but there was also to my knowledge no leagues remotely near us in the neighboring states as well so it's not like I could just go somewhere else and play to scratch that itch it was just a no-go so I actually was contacted by Chris Galloway who was wanting me to come out and do some interviews and and write about the Potomac Wiffleball League 
in Washington, D.C., which was uh, about seven or eight hours from me. So he invited me out, and this was around April of 2012. And I went out there, interviewed him, and I was supposed to watch his league. It poured the rain the whole time. So I didn't actually get to see them play. I didn't get to play with them or anything like that. But I still got to kick it with Galloway the whole time and do an interview with him. I don't know. It got the juices flowing again. The seed for the inspiration for what would become the Huntington Wiffle League was planted. I didn't know it at the time, but he sort of incepted me (laughs) in his way. And uh, the joy and and love that he has for the game, like many commissioners, that if you talk to him and you have that a similar love for it, uh, it's just contagious. You you have no way of resisting it. It, It's viral in in that sense. But uh, anyway, when I came home, uh, I was hanging out with Greg Sowards, who many of you may know. If you know me, you probably know Greg. Greg had moved to Huntington at this point, which is uh, a college town, maybe about a half an hour from our hometown. And we were hanging out, and he took me to a place called St. Cloud Commons Community Park, which is where there used to be a minor league affiliate team for the Chicago Cubs that played uh, back in the 90s. And it's a softball park now. There's like five or six softball fields there. And we were walking around, and it's it was a perfect place to what would end up be where we started our league and called it home for the first couple of seasons. And that was it. Uh, th- those two events, me going to interview Galloway for the Whiffler's Digest, and then that later that same month, by happenstance, hanging out with Greg Sowards at uh, St. Cloud uh, Commons Community Park in Huntington, West Virginia, and boom, uh, the Huntington Wiffle League was was born. We didn't have much luck in getting any new players, but we had about a dozen players from the old league uh, at the GDWL that we got together and started about five teams that uh, we got together at that point, and the rest is history. And for, uh, I think we we played in 2012, and then we played through 2018 before we did our hiatus at that point at the end of that season, and we're actually coming back this season. So 2012, we started the Huntington Wiffle League. You know, 2012 was not a very impressive year, if I'm being honest, but we we planted, we, we put shovels in the ground. <laughs> we, we got things started. But in 2013, uh, after having a, uh, a pretty decent 16 uh, league where we got, got um, probably the biggest boost of new faces that we've ever gotten in the league, we decided to do a fall ball program. And uh, that, that was a huge benefit for us and led to our 2014 season that I, I think was probably responsible for what, what cast a big net for getting a lot of the talent that we got potentially. But not only that, in that same time that we did the fall ball program in 2013 for that the Huntington Wiffle League, I had started a league in Charleston, which uh, for those unfamiliar, Charleston is the capital city of West Virginia, and it's about 45 minutes east of Huntington. We started the Charleston Wiffle League at this time, and we did a fall ball season as well for about eight weeks there, and we actually had two or three teams at this point in which we got the breaking balls, which if you're familiar with players such as Nick Scala or Drew McClanahan or Ryan Pritt, then this is the league that that started with. So uh, it basically was 
technically an extension of the Huntington Wiffle League is what it ended up being. It was its own league for, for that time before we eventually just absorbed it into the Huntington Wiffle League. My, my dream was that we would have these sister leagues that would run uh, next to each other, like a national and American league, and then we would have you know these River Cities situations of, of competition developing uh, next to each other, and it just never really took off, mainly just because I can't run two leagues at the same time. It's just not possible. Why I did that, I'll never know. It was just a fever dream that I just decided to pull the trigger on. <laughs> it was fun, but it is just that was not a sustaining idea. So that lasted just that fall. The only other league that has ever been started, to my knowledge, uh, organized anyway, in West Virginia, outside of that, was after we went on our hiatus in 2018, the following year in 2019, is a league that some of you may be familiar with, if you're familiar with Bryce Clark at all. I know a lot of you guys are really into Maw or Mid-Atlantic Wiffle, and Bryce Clark is big with the Stompers, but before he was your beloved Stomper, he was the captain of the Mothman squad here. He went on to start the wild and wonderful uh, wiffle ball league here in Mason County, which is where he's from. Now, Mason County is a little over an hour north of Huntington, and that was the last league that existed in this state until we brought the Huntington Wiffle League back at this point. And I believe Wild and Wonderful Wiffle Ball League only lasted that year in 2019, and it was just a tournament format situation. It was sort of a riff of what the HWL did in 2016 and 2017 with the tournaments. Now, I did play in that league, and I played in a couple of those tournaments. It was fun. Bryce did well. But as I will say, small town, not a lot of population area to, to draw players from. It did suffer from that, so the longevity of that league was doomed from the start, and it, it just was never going to go anywhere. And I think that was the the main reason why you see Bryce Clark at Mid Atlantic Wiffle instead of Bryce Clark at Mid Atlantic Wiffle and in his own league that he runs, because uh, Bryce Clark was on our organizing committee. He did well in recruitment, which is his main role there, but he also helped us develop rules and kind of like be a soundboard for that as well. He was a developing administrator, you know, in, in that role uh, for us that last season, not just a, a player. He enjoys kind of, he's a student of the game and developing leagues as well, not just a player, but I, I think he probably would have continued hacking at it if it was, you know, if it would have had any use <laughs> to continue doing that, but I think he saw that eh, my my efforts are better off to continue just to focus more on playing, and that's why you know him more as a player than anything else at this point, and for good reason. And and that's pretty much where where we are today. We've had ten leagues in, in this state total, which is kind of pathetic when you factor in that close to I don't know twenty five years of wiffle ball history in in, in a state. And Charleston and Huntington, don't get me wrong, is the population center of West Virginia. But there's also other areas that I'll never understand why there have not been leagues or are not le- no, there are not leagues there. 
There may never be leagues there. I think the my final point I'm going to make here, there's only been two times, or three times, I'm going to say, three times that there has been a league operating simultaneously as a, a league that I've been a part of. Then you have other places like Pennsylvania, like in the Wilkes-Barre uh, area at one point during the regional tournament. There was like an explosion of leagues at one point. Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan. Um, I mean, the, I could go on about why, where the hotbeds are for some with football leagues and activity, why that could be. And moreover, you know, thou shalt not covet. But I am very envious. <laughs> I've always wanted that. You know, I, I my focus is focus on your own league, stay in your lane, and I will. But I've always, it's like when you're an only child and you want a brother or a sister. I would love to have a league within a stone's throw of us that we could play against or with or whatever the case may be. But it is such a luxury if you're out there and you've got a league and there's a league within like three hours of you (laughs) that's worth anything and you're actually able to collaborate. That is a luxury. So my goal for this episode was to present to you an oral history of wiffle ball in the in West Virginia in the Mountain State, and I feel that I've done that, uh, a, a summary of which anyway. And you know, it starts in 2000 with the Matt Vela's wiffle ball league, and it's ongoing now with the resurrection of my league, the Huntington Wiffle League, which started in 2012, and we're coming back in 2023. So uh, there's been 10 leagues total, almost no circumstances in which any given league is operating at the same time as another and that's sort of obviously it's sad but it's kind of a rarity compared to some other states like new york and and others i'm sure there are other leagues that i've missed that are not mentioned on the internet or their websites have been taken down before i would have had a chance to see them when i first started coming up so if you're out there and you're listening and you were part of the west virginia wiffle ball scene and you've not been mentioned, first of all, radical, because you're probably from the 80s. <laughs> Reach out to me, please, at HuntingtonWiffle at gmail.com so I can sort of make you part of this history for my own benefit here. Uh, I did write an article about this on our website, HuntingtonWiffleBall.com, but I would like to make sure that I preserve this history at least for our little corner of the Wiffleball universe. But moreover, I don't know if anyone else is interested in doing any kind of preservation for this for their own states as well. But when I walked around at the Baseball Hall of Fame Museum in Cooperstown, I was in heaven in my own sense. I grew up as a, as you know, when I was a little boy, I played baseball. I, you know, peaked and did not progress. <laughs> uh, and I'm on a wiffle ball podcast. Let's just say that I'm not, uh, I'm not being talked about on on MLB the show, right? To to see these these big names and the big lights and statues of them, and you can almost touch their jerseys and just the the volume of the information and the reverence for that collected in one building in one place, it really speaks to you. But as we all age and ache for that reverence. And I, I sometimes wonder, are we doing enough 
and taking this not too seriously, but seriously enough so that 10 years, 20 years from now, because I can now say that I've been around that long and I can't believe it. 20 years now, I started my journey with this a little over 20 years. I would not have, first of all, I didn't know I'd be doing this this long. Second of all, it does not feel like an accomplishment, <laughs> to be clear. And when the, my my old league's league lineup site was taken away and all the stats were gone, it was really hard to absorb that <laughs> because it's just gone. There's That information's lost now. I would strongly suggest... To, to everyone, that you may not realize it now or yet, but later, you're going to regret, potentially, not preserving or taking this opportunity now, today, to preserve what you know to be true and to, to hold this information sacred. We are the storytellers. You could see us as bards if you want. Come and I'll tell you a tale. Whatever you want to see it as. But we need to make sure that we're being responsible in passing this torch to the next generation of wiffle ball leagues and tournaments or players or whatever you want to see it as. I have noticed a steep decline in the founding of new leagues. As someone who ran a wiffle ball league and tournament tracker for five years with the Wifflers Digest, and before that, when I was a columnist for the National Wiffle League Association, was constantly in contact with people trying to be, you know, become affiliates with the NWA and on the hunt for new leagues and stuff like that, the amount of new leagues being formed is down. And I wonder, like, is it because we are not doing our part in, I don't want to say creating inspiration, but leaving that mark and leaving a blueprint on how to do this or or whatever it is or at least for our sake for our own record or amusement or something i'm not really sure where i'm going with this here but i just think that we're going to regret not taking these opportunities while we have the information at hand to make record of that so that we can recall and recount it at a later time and that's all i'm trying to say and that's all I wanted to do today so that at a later time, someone who needs this information or wants this information or, or you know, wants, wants to recall this can. That, that's all that I wanted to talk about today was just to give you that information. I would, I would gladly listen to, to anyone's uh, assembly of uh, a state's, you know, a history of uh, leagues or tournaments or, or whatever their history is. Uh, with the sport on the state level or local level or whatever. I think that's fascinating on, on how it develops and ebbs and flows and everything. So, um, But that's, again, everything I had to talk about today. Uh, I'll be back next week. Not entirely sure what the topic's going to be. I, I'm going to aim for something probably a little less in-depth. <laughs> I'll probably be joined by a co-host, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you guys next week. Thank you so much for having me back and spending the time with me and enjoy the rest of your morning and have a good weekend. See you.